it is 9 a.m. in New York, 3 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations. And I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. What do you do when you notice your cell phone battery is getting low at home? How about a long trip? How do you prepare when you have a long journey ahead and you might not be able to recharge? Right? You might be thinking, duh, I plug it in before it's too low. Or in the case of a long haul journey, you might make sure it's fully charged until right before you go. Or some of you even buy a battery pack. But why the heck don't we do that for ourselves? Why do we invest so much time and attention about making sure our phones stay powered up, but it's so hard for us to recharge ourselves? That is a question that we cannot look away from, especially in the context of going a year into the COVID crisis when you are a parent or another carer, like a teacher, a psychologist, a coach, anyone who is responsible for other people who are going through their own challenges, right? This needs attention, and that is why I have brought in an expert to support us with diving deep. Dr. Melissa Thiessen is a clinical psychologist currently working in a private practice in Ottawa, Canada. She's also worked in a range of hospitals and community-based positions. She is also part of the National Association of Psychologists and the Canadian Psychological Association. Melissa is also no stranger to expat life as she's lived abroad where she was involved with multiple nonprofit organizations dedicated to supporting the health and well-being of women and children. Since 2019, Melissa has partnered with her business partner, Dr. Karen Dyke, who has co-founded the website Intentional Therapist, which aims to help female mental health professionals find intentional, creative, and playful ways to incorporate self-care into their lives. So who better to help us understand how we can care for ourselves while we care for others than someone who is doing this for a living. So based on all of what I'm seeing, I thought it would be a great idea to bring in a clinical psychologist and hear from her about what we all need to know as carers. So Melissa, welcome to Expat Happy Hour. Thank you so much for having me, Sunday. Very excited to be here. So Melissa has years of experience as a qualified psychologist and has been alongside all of us in this pandemic. So Melissa, I'm really curious to hear from you. You know, are you also seeing what I'm seeing that the people that are in caring positions, whether it's coaching or psychology or teaching or even just parenting, are feeling fatigue from everything yet putting themselves under pressure to have to do it perfectly because they're in some sort of lead care role? 
Absolutely, Sunday. I think um, obviously a, a huge challenge through all of this is that even as a professional quotes carer, uh, whether like you said, a psychologist, a coach, uh, even a physician, as well as just as a parent, nobody has had any sort of formal training in how to manage life during a pandemic. And so it has been an incredibly challenging time in a lot of ways to be navigating um, all of the uncertainty and just adaptations that have been required throughout this basically year now of the the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I think there is a real challenge and potentially risk for someone who is in a professional caregiving role to put some extra pressure on themselves. to, to think, oh, well, yes, I'm in this role, so I should have it all together. I should know how to handle this, you know, should, should, should. When again, of course, we're, we're all human as well. And so uh, we're going to be facing a lot of these same challenges. Uh, so it's just so, so incredibly important always as a professional carer uh, to be taking good care of ourselves. But I think something that the pandemic has really highlighted is that it's even more, it's more important than it's ever been to be taking good care of ourselves. Well, and it's, um, right. And I, I think about, I was, I was like hunkering down for 12 weeks, right? <laughs> so naive. I'm like, oh, it's like three months in China. So I mean, three months here and then we're all good. We're back to normal. And now I'm like, oh, I'm looking at my photos on my phone. of like, oh yeah, a year ago I was in Qatar. Oh, and then I had to come back a day early because of this and that. And so no one, no one was prepared, as you said. So here's the thing. This is, um, this idea of taking care of yourself, everybody knows the metaphor of put your oxygen mask on first, you know, before you can help other people. We know this, right? But actually doing it um, is another thing. And like you said, we've never been in this time before. So our old strategies that worked might be reaching their limits. So what ideas do you have for, for people out there who are listening who feel like, you know what, I've tried... <laughs> all the strategies I know, um, what else you got? Like, what do you think, uh, where do we start? You know, Sunday, I think we start with really being clear about how are we defining self-care, taking care of ourselves? Because I think sometimes it's really easy to fall into some stereotypical notions of that. And, uh, and of course it's not, just and I think you've you've spoken about this probably a number of times on the podcast, but it's not just about massages and pedicures and chocolate and wine or whatever it might be, right? And bubble baths. Those things are are important if you enjoy that. But but most importantly, it's it's not one size fits all. It's something that is very individual, fluid, uh, needs to adapt with changing circumstances. And so <clears throat> There's, there's actually a, a quote um, I came across uh, a few months back, um, and some listeners may have heard this as well, but I think a wonderful definition of self-care is creating a life we don't need to escape from. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty powerful when you hear it that way, right? And, and so, um, of course, the pandemic for a lot of us has kind of been a life or at the very least a situation, a time period that we would really like to escape from and don't necessarily have these normal means of, uh, of escape or, um, 
uh, rest or rejuvenation. But I think if we can think of self-care in the broader scheme in this way, then it helps us to be really intentional about the the things that we do, the choices we make, and how we weave that into our day-to-day lives. I think one of the, the key things that um, uh, my partner Karen and I emphasize in, in our work uh, around uh, supporting other female mental health professionals in their self-care efforts and our own <laughs> uh, go along with that is that self-care is really a, a lot of the time about doing what's more maybe actually more difficult, what's actually kind of uncomfortable, right? Again, it's not just the bubble baths and the treating ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's the things that are uncomfortable, like setting boundaries, like asking for help, like um, countering the shoulds that go through our mind all the time, Um, because that's ultimately what's going to allow us to create that life that we don't want to escape from. So I, the arm hair (laughs) is standing up, um, on my arms ever since you said the quote about creating a life that we don't need to escape. Um, so thank you for that absolute paradigm shift. Um, I think that's really important because as you mentioned, some, a lot of the ways that we talk about self-care is from a very privileged perspective. Um, not everybody has access to resources, um, uh, financially or in a support capacity to be able to escape from their lives through those things that you mentioned. So how do we build a life that doesn't feel like we want to escape? And I love that you mentioned um, about the discomfort. I, I think I just did a podcast where I talked about how self-care is also painful, right? It can be, it can be choosing to do the, the painful thing, um, whether it's going to an osteopath, a chiropractor or whatever, you know, working out, um, it can bring pain. So you mentioned doing what's uncomfortable boundaries, asking for help and shoulds. Um, what do you think people resist the most in learning? Oh, great question. I think um, to make sure I understand you completely, Sunday, do you mean what do people resist the most in taking care of themselves? Yeah. Like, is it the doing the uncomfortable thing or is it learning to have better boundaries? What is it that people know is good for them, but really resist doing it? Yes. I think, I think it's all of those things. I think it's also resisting having compassion for ourselves. Uh, I think it's, uh, of, of course, very often, especially as a, a carer, I think it's, it's very common to have thoughts like self-care is selfish. Uh, it means mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm putting myself in front of others. Right. And I think especially, uh, women, you know, not exclusively women, but certainly women are socialized much more so than men to uh, to see themselves as carers, to put other people's needs before their own. And so that obviously can be a really huge barrier to being able to take good care of ourselves. And of course, it's so ironic because like you were saying, you know, we all know the idea of put your own mask on first, but yeah, people seem to kind of kick and scream about that and, and resist it. And, and I think it, it comes from, again, that, that misconception that self-care is selfish, that putting our own needs in front of somebody else's, uh, means I'm 
you know, choosing me over them. Um, and in fact, and, and this is part of what um, we are really trying to emphasize in, in the community of mental health professionals that, that we're building <clears throat> is that self-care um, is, is actually what helps us to do our job as effectively as possible. We are really our own mm-hmm. best tool as a, a psychologist, a coach, a therapist, a physician, a teacher, even an entrepreneur, a business owner, right? It's the relationships that we build with other people that really have the biggest impact on our bottom line. And so who we are as a person is going to influence our ability to build those relationships with others, right? And develop positive relationships that are sustainable. Absolutely. If, if we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be able to build those relationships. We're not going to be able to be as effective. It's, it's almost as if uh, a surgeon who, who doesn't like sterilize their tools so they can still show up and do their job, but they're not going to be able to do it nearly as well. And there's probably actually a lot of harm that's mm-hmm. going to come from that. So, you know, if we think of it in that way, self-care then just becomes this integral part of the job description. It's something that we actually need to weave mm-hmm. into our role instead of seeing it as something separate. And I think that's a big um, challenge for a lot of people is is seeing self-care as this like just something else that's on the to-do list, right? And not realizing Mm -hmm. that this is what um, makes the job possible, basically. And I think it applies personally as well, right? How we, who we are determines how we show up for the people we're caring for, even if we're not directly getting paid for that, right? Whether it's children or elderly parents or an ill sibling, just being the best kind of us that we can be in relationship with that other person that we're caring for, then again, goes back to just creating our lives in this way that doesn't feel like we need to escape from them. And that, and that also we um, aren't constantly feeling like we are in resistance to something. Right. I need to, I need to back up there. Like there, what you just said about that self-care is not separate from your role. Um, It took me probably, I don't know, five years to figure that out as an entrepreneur. And I, um, I would work hard and then try to fit in self-care outside of my working hours, right? But the self-care I was trying to do was actually just trying to do damage control for the intense day I had, right? And I, it, and I think what it took me to shift that is I call myself, I'm really proud of this now, so I'm like telling everybody, um, <laughs> I used to call myself a recovering perfectionist. Now I call myself a perfectionist in remission. Like I'm not a perfectionist anymore. I, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm perfectionism free, but I'm really far away from what I used to be. And I'm proud of that. Um, And one of the things I just started doing um, that's been sustainable is I meditate during working hours. And I, um, and then it's in addition to the hour and a half I take off over lunch to work out, shower and eat. Um, So I, I'm really proud of that because um, it is a way of saying no, if I, nurture myself, I know I'm going to show it better for people. So I just want to sort of shout, you know, shout out for anybody who's in a caring position. Um, when you see self-care as something you have to do on top of your other tasks, 
What if it was instead of, right? Exactly, exactly. And this is the, a very similar shift that uh, I've been making in my scheduling of my week, really uh, emphasizing to myself the importance of uh, having, you know, breaks between clients, uh, having, um, uh, making sure that I'm including, yeah, eating lunch mm-hmm. in the schedule, mm-hmm. uh, and as well as just time to to do other things like planning, like um, thinking about development ideas, mm-hmm. right? Doing mm-hmm. continuing education, uh, so that it again, it's it's an integral part of my role of my schedule. Like you said, it's not something that is 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 happening. Uh, on the fringes. And really pragmatic advice I could give there is um, what I do is I put, I block those things out in my schedule as a recurring uh, event. So I have a base health break from 1030 to 12 forever. Right. And I have really clear boundaries when I start and stop work. And um, I have CEO um, times blocked where I'm doing the planning and the strategy um, instead of just being the practitioner, right? I've got that blocked out as well. And what, what that does, it, it helps what I call, I did a podcast called bending reality. It helps you see if you are bending reality, do you really, how much time do you really have left in a day? How many clients can you really take on? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And yeah. And I love, I love hearing you say that Sunday, uh, in our, in our community, we just recently, uh, ran a, a little, um, offering for our community members that we called white space Fridays. Mm -hmm. And, uh, essentially this was just a, a time that we encouraged everybody to take off together. Of course, appreciating not everybody in different time zones can be taking the same one or two hour block of time together, but uh, encouraging people, if not then, doing it at some other point. But we uh, we shared some brief meditation exercises with people as like an opening and a closing exercise for that white space time to just really help people um, make that time in their schedule and know that others are doing it along with them and just kind of creating that accountability and support, which ultimately is about really like normalizing Mm -hmm. this idea that this is something we need to be doing. And again, and we purposefully did it during work Mm -hmm. hours um, because it's not supposed to be something that only happens on Sunday morning, for example. Because you should be sleeping in and drinking Mm -hmm. coffee on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, or whatever else it is that that rejuvenates you. But yeah, exactly. Can we can we just pause on harm for a second? Because I also know that a lot of people mistake um, self care for selfish, right? And um, this idea of harm might capture someone's attention, right? Like if I don't take care of myself, I could actually cause harm, and then it might be enough of a motivation. Um, do you, and I don't want to put you in the spot, but do you either have a personal example or if you have a professional example of someone that you've worked with or, or supported where you've, you've seen that happen and then through changing their practices and their approach, they were able to sort of recalibrate and come to a place of self-care? Yeah, that's a great question, Sunday. So I certainly know of some general examples of um, of other psychologists who uh, 
uh, I mean, this is the reason we have um, ethical principles, right? Because uh, when people aren't taking good care of themselves, that is when the slippery slope to uh, boundary violations or, you know, other kinds of um, ethical missteps occur. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's the extreme version of that for sure. And, and sadly, I do know of some some examples where, where that's happened. Uh, but I think on a, on a less extreme scale, it's even just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's even just things like, uh, I have actually, I have a, a colleague who, um, often jokingly talks about, um, I just need to make it through this week Mm -hmm. and then everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And then of course, that's what she says every every week. week. And yeah, mm-hmm. right. And then before you know it, months or even years have gone by and nothing is 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 changing. And so we were actually speaking recently about how she really started to take that to heart and realize that, okay, this actually means that I need to be doing things differently. I don't actually need to wear burnout or risk of burnout mm-hmm. as like a badge of honor. Right. This is not actually a good thing for me to be so busy, to be working 50, 60 hours a week, to not be seeing my, um, uh, my, my children regularly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so she really did, uh, reevaluate things, um, and, and took that as a sign for herself that, okay, uh, this is not actually how I want to be spending my time, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is now the life that I I am trying to be escaping from, and so uh, so she really took that to heart and has made changes in her schedule. And actually, um, the the pandemic has been kind of helpful in the sense that it's really forced her to look at mm-hmm. work hours, boundaries, uh, just what what matters most, um, because for many of us the workday has maybe been contracted as a result of less access to childcare, for example. Right. And I, 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 and so, and I always say to people that, and I know they want to punch me in the face when I say this, but um, <laughs> that in some levels, the pandemic has been, it's been a horrible disaster in people's personal lives and professional lives and financial lives. And I, I'm not going mm-hmm. to, I don't want to negate that at all. And there are times with families where because of the constraints that has been put around their lives, they've been forced to change how they've done things. They've been forced to to do it differently because they had no other choice, right? So my hope yeah. is, is that people mm-hmm. who are able to make it through this time will come out with better strategies in their hands for whatever else is coming our way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and that's a conversation I've had with colleagues as well, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, many people have realized, especially <clears throat> with having, uh, you know, ap- appointments over Zoom, you know, many people talk about Zoom fatigue. And uh, I think a lot of people have realized that they can't see as many clients in a day, for example, mm-hmm. when they're doing it by video. Mm-hmm. Because it does take a lot more effort in a lot of ways um, to be just really trying to s- stay attuned um, to to the client, and so uh, as a result, a lot of people I think have have started scheduling their days in a different way, and and have been finding that that has been really beneficial for them, and again, is something that they want to continue to do even once 
the magical day comes mm-hmm. that we are able to return to our offices and see people right. in person on a more regular basis. And I mean, I think harm, we can think about it in a lot of ways. Like the extreme is where it's like, you know, an ethical violation clinically, right? Mm-hmm. But there's other harm. Like um, I rob myself of a relaxing evening with my kids if I'm too focused at work during the day so I have a headache at night, right? So the, exactly. right, the harm is that I'm robbing myself of um, a relaxed evening. I'm robbing my children of a chilled mom. I, you know, momzilla shows up at 7 PM, right? Like, so the harm, yeah. the harm doesn't have to be something dramatic. It can be those, those almost those dangerous things that are tiny over time that make a big impact. Um, absolutely. So mm-hmm. I know that I know you talked about compassion. Um, I mean, what is compassion really? Such an important question. I think on a really basic level, compassion or, and very importantly, self-compassion is recognizing that it's okay to be feeling whatever we're feeling, good and bad. And I think this has been such a huge message that I know Mm -hmm. I have been emphasizing with all of my clients throughout the pandemic and really trying to take home myself as well. Um, That kind of like you were saying there, you know, so many people have been so negatively impacted Mm -hmm. Um, others less so. And I think even if you're somebody who hasn't been significantly negatively impacted by the pandemic, it's still okay to be upset about the things that have changed, the things that you maybe have lost, even if they might feel like they're, you know, quote unquote, first world problems. And so just really validating that all of these emotions are okay. They're normal. We can, and importantly, we can have the tough stuff and the good stuff show up at the same time. And we don't have to feel like we're only allowed to have one or the other um, at at once. And so really just validating for ourselves that, yeah, mm-hmm. this is difficult, whether it's the pandemic or just being a caregiver, it, it's tough, right? And, and so just letting that tough stuff show up and knowing that we don't have to mm-hmm. push it away is so, so valuable. Right. That's what I've been really working on. I'm I'm doing this whole series on getting unstuck and one of the things I'm emphasizing is sitting in the stuck and and giving ourselves permission to be there, which is I that is again taken me also years to learn. I'm I'm I love escaping from uncomfortable things. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Like that, that feels great, but I don't know if it's always a, a good thing. So we've talked about some, you know, recognizing the urgency of self-care. It's preventing harm. Um we looked at this idea of changing our systems so that we can have more space and energy and incorporating self-care into our role. What are some other things that we can think about um, as carers that we can start or stop doing in our everyday? I think a, a really important and also simple thing that we can do is really recognizing the importance of mindful self-care as well as micro self-care. So what I mean by by both of those is, you know, even when somebody already has some uh, perhaps positive and adaptive self-care practices, we might be diminishing their their benefits if we're not actually practicing them mindfully, right? So maybe you take the time, go get, you know, your favorite latte, 
But instead of actually sitting with that, even just for one minute and really, you know, taking in the smell and the taste, the sight of the foam, et cetera, um, and really, you know, recognizing yourself or making a point of doing that, you might be pairing that with some other activity like scrolling through social media, right? Or responding to emails or, I mean, how many of us um, will eat lunch while we're on the computer at the same time, right? So I think when we can really attend to and immerse ourselves in our self-care activities, you know, the things that we maybe even are already doing, that's really going to help us to get maximum benefit from them. Mm. And, and I think it's also really important to keep in mind that, uh, certainly as we've been talking about, it's so important to be incorporating our self-care in larger ways into the roles that we have, but self-care can also be micro self-care, meaning 30 seconds, one minute. And there's a wonderful mm-hmm. acronym from, uh, from this woman, Lori Mihalik-Levin. I'm maybe saying that properly, probably not, but she runs a website called Mindful Return. And uh, it's particularly geared towards um, parents returning to the workforce after having their children, uh, women in particular. And so this practice that she promotes, she's called is ISS, which stands for intention, stretch, and savor. And it's this idea that just when you're taking your shower, just literally taking 30 seconds Mm. to kind of set an intention for the day, stretch, just feel your body, and then just savor the sensations of the water, the smell of your shampoo, whatever it might be, right? But just so that even in this Mm -hmm. very brief moment, you're you're purposefully doing something for yourself and you're you're taking note of the fact Mm -hmm. that you're doing that. And so obviously that's uh, not going to be enough uh, to, to fully sustain us in our caring roles. But of course, as you know, that can then have positive ripple effects throughout the rest of our day. Right. It's not enough, but it's not nothing. Yeah. And of course, when you're in a phase of life, like being a new parent, you know, you've got an infant, there's not going to be as much time uh, to, to do all of the things that you might want to do. So I think it's just so important to remember that regardless of the the phase that we might be in, there's still opportunities to be taking care of ourselves and, and that we, we need to make a point of, uh, doing those things intentionally. Right. I'm just thinking of all those people who work, you know, the night shift, barely see their kids, uh, doing two jobs, like, there's so little wiggle room. And mm-hmm. like you said, if if that is the reality that people are carrying, then what are the micro things that we can do? Um, even like you said, if you're showering, just be present in that and let that be a nurturing experience. That's yeah. Wonderful. And and to go back to, to your comment earlier Sunday about um, uh, sitting with the, the discomfort, uh, I think that's a really uh, important <clears throat> additional way of thinking about self-care in terms of, you know, whether it's asking for help or saying no when you're mm-hmm. requested to, uh, to mm-hmm. do something. And I'm, you, I'm sure you're, uh, aware that, um, Brene Brown talks about this a lot and something she really emphasizes is choosing discomfort over mm-hmm. resentment. Because mm-hmm. I think especially when you're in a, a caregiving role, whether again, of taking care of elderly parents or taking care of young children, resentment can so easily build up when somebody feels like everything is on their shoulders, right? Right. And so if we 
can get a little bit more used to doing the things that aren't so comfortable, like saying no or asking other people for help, yes, that's going to be uncomfortable, but discomfort is temporary, whereas resentment is going to be so much longer lasting. Wow. And of you course, really... resentment, not mm-hmm. going to be so helpful for our self-care and well-being either. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And it's like, I, I always say that resentment is poison for your relationships. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you've given us a lot to think about, Melissa. Um, I'm I'm thinking about just the paradigm shift on what self-care is, right? That's ultimately when we've reached a life that we don't want to escape, um, emphasizing how really high quality self-care includes doing uncomfortable things and saying no and allowing ourselves to be in a place where we ask for help and get our needs met. So thank you so much for, for that fresh perspective. Where um, can people find you if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing? Yes. Yeah, so uh, myself and my, my business partner, Karen, have a, a website called intentionaltherapist.ca. We're out of Canada. And uh, we have a, a, a newsletter, of course, that um, we uh, uh, share with uh, all of our community members. So our focus specifically is female mental health professionals. Uh, and our, our mission really is to uh, help support female mental health professionals, ourselves included, uh, in engaging in more intentional and playful and creative self-care. And really hopefully achieving this kind of paradigm shift that this is just a part of the role and 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 something that um, that that we all prioritize without guilt. So good. Oh, so good. Thank you for sharing that with us because it's definitely going to help beyond uh, clinical psychology to all of those carers who are out there listening. Any last words of, of wisdom uh, that you'd like to share with the listeners before we close today? I think I'll just add that idea of the importance of creativity and play as well. Uh, because when we're uh, engaged in uh, a, an activity like uh, play, whether it's with kids or on our own, of course, as adults, it's <laughs> becomes a lot more challenging to play or be playful. And it's really a shame because there's so many benefits to play and creativity. And and in fact, it's actually a huge part of what makes us human, uh, particularly when we're creating things, using our hands. Uh, And so I think the more that we can incorporate creative, playful activities and strategies into our self-care, the even more we're going to get out of that. All right. Thank you so much, Belissa. It's been a pleasure having you here today on Expat Happy Hour. Thank you so much, Sunday. This will be one of those interviews that sticks with me. The definition of self-care is living a life you don't want to escape from. I love how closely aligned Melissa and I are on self-care around that it often means getting uncomfortable Sometimes self-care is even painful. You've ever been to the chiropractor? You know what I'm talking about? It requires excellent boundaries, hard conversations, and saying no. That is real self-care. And I know that it isn't as much fun as thinking you can just take a bubble bath, but without any of the above, that brief escape, that soak will be erased. 
This episode is shared with love for all of those of you who are listening, who are serving others. You could be a parent, a teacher, a psychologist, a coach, or even an entrepreneur. We have a lot on the line. And it's even more imperative that we do the right kind of self-care so we can continue to care for others. So this is a shout out specifically to everyone who's listening, who's living a globally mobile life and serves those who are living that Olympic level of complexity. And the last thing I want to say about that is if you're listening to this episode in the third week of March, today is a big day because I am opening the doors to apply for the next round of Expat Coach Coalition carers for the expat community. Expat Coach Coalition is a complete industry-proven turnkey coaching solution for professionals serving impacts. If you haven't heard about it already, go ahead and check it out in the show notes. Graduates of the program unanimously agree that Expat Coach Coalition exceeded their expectations. You dive into the art of coaching expats and get proven tools at your fingertips, plus focus on how you can show up in your business so that you have not a hobby, (laughs) but an actual revenue stream. Here's what some of the graduates have had to say. Jane Ordaz, the founder of Menopausal Expat, said, I knew I had it in me to start a business. Even my friends and husband tell me I look totally different, lighter and brighter. It's quite profound. It's really built my conviction that I can help others succeed. And since she gave that statement, we've seen her group touch the lives of women all over the world. Kim Adams from Family Preparedness has a wonderful podcast, and she said, you'll get sisterhood, clarity, and practice. To anyone who's considering joining, I say, do it. This is a robust program from beginning to get to end, and you won't regret it. All right. So if you want rock solid tools coupled with community while also boosting your confidence, revenue, and progress, this is for you. And now that is what I call self-care. Go ahead and apply in the show notes because the spots are going to fill fast. You've been listening to Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Schneider Bean. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with the words from Leila Dalaya. Self-care is how you take your power back. Um. <laughs>